and welcome to Masters of Divinity. I am your moderator, JP, and I'm here with Father Chuck. I, I feel like for this episode, we should have like we should. I should have wrapped it or something. Like no, 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 like different names. Oh. Like what would like I told you that like if I had a hip hop name for the years, I call. I said my hip hop name would be Cumberbun. Cumberbun. Why is it Cumberbun? What? what I don't know. It's it? funny. It's a funny word. Yeah, I don't know. I I uh... not to see. I also for a while. Well, for a while, I joked in. I joked uh, like in like mid, like in high school that like my rap name would be Vitamin C, and then there was an actual There's Vitamin C that did that. You know that graduation that song. And uh, and so yeah. So I had to. <laughs> that, yeah, that's right. She's in there. So <laughs> I had to. I had to figure out a different name. And so um, Keelan and I did a little bit for a while where we called ourselves Cumberbun and the Illimatic. <laughs> okay. And he was the Illimatic and I was the Cumberbund and uh and our 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 joke was we had we had we had a we had a rap song, not really a rap song. Um did we never do this for you? No. Where Keelan and I did our song it's like we ride skateboards. We ride skateboards. <laughs> That's how we get around. We never did oh, that. Oh, oh, whoa, whoa, yeah, yeah, I think we did do that. I, okay. I, but that was a lo- wow, that was a long time ago. That was that was early in our friendship. Those were the early years. Those were oh yeah. Years. Well, and that was so the joke initially was that our friend Kurt would wear a Boba Fett helmet and hit and play the bongos for our beat, and then we would just <laughs> say like we would have we would posture like rap artists, but then just do like I ride skateboards, I ride skateboards, <laughs> and uh, and the thing is is when we were I mean, we went around campus once to try to promote um, Pedro Bustamante's uh, appearance at um, the first battle of the bands that we played at. Yeah. And a few of our friends were like, "Well, what, what's your band sound like?" And we were like, "Oh, it's just like this." And we just and we went into Cumberbund and the Illimatic. And the group that we're talking about today are, are the Beastie Boys. And uh, Chuck has selected an album for this for this year's Music Mayhem. Hello. Our, by the way, our first episode of Music Mayhem, third of the third third the third iteration of yes. Music Mayhem. Yes. Uh, wait, what? What? I'm just pointing out that we just really hadn't made much out of the fact that we're doing music mayhem again. It, it kinda, was just sort of like it, it kind of stuck up on us, right? Well, it feels it feels a little bit like maybe we're, maybe we're taking a, a '90s vibe with it. It's 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 subdued. We're not going to make bit. a big deal out of it. We're just gonna. <laughs> it's like 1993, it's like, like the 1993 coffee house version of music mayhem. It's, it's like it's like MTV's unplugged music mayhem version, right? Yeah, like, sure. Yeah, yeah. and that in, in honor of Matt, because Matt likes the acoustic version of everything. Yeah. Oh, poor not for Matt for not being here. I, I really wanted to hear him talk about the Beastie Boys. <laughs> yes, because apparently he hated this album. And <laughs> <laughs> that would have been. Yeah, I just want to know, like, what his favorite tracks were, like, what tracks he wants to listen to. I'd be like, oh, I don't have any, man. Uh, I don't know. Um, okay, so the group comprised of Michael Diamond, aka Mike D, Adam Yausch. Is that how you pronounce his name? I Yausch. think so. Yeah. Adam Yausch, aka MCA, and Adam Horowitz, aka Adrock. My favorite. Personally, mm-hmm. and we should make mention that um, that Adam Yauch has left this mortal coil back in 2015. Yeah. 2012 is when he passed away. Was it really that long ago? I thought it was yeah. only 2015. Wow, five years. Yeah, five years. Wow. Yeah, the group has since disbanded. But let's let's start at the beginning. They started off as a hardcore punk band in 1979 and were called the Young Aborigines. A bit problematic, but okay, it's okay. <laughs> uh, it was in 1983, however, when they found local success after releasing an experimental um, hip hop single called Cookie Puss. And that's when they transitioned into hip hop. Uh, they toured with Madonna in 1985 and later released their debut album, License to Ill, which became the first rap record to top the Billboard charts. Really quick, can we just acknowledge 
what that must have been like. Yeah. So there's a there's a there's a really well known story in rock history. Um, the monkeys, right? Where you know the monkeys. Um, they were touring, and they someone decided that Jimi Hendrix should be their opening act. And so there's this great story of like, you know, teenage girls like their parents ushering them out of the theater because they were understanding why, like. Why, why, why the, why the black man was having sex with his guitar on stage? <laughs> so I would love to have been part of that, like seeing that mall crowd that showed up to hear Madonna, and yeah. to be, and then to get, and then to be subjected to. I did it like this. I did it like that. I did it with a wiffle ball bat. So yeah, I mean, that, you have to understand, like that is early Madonna. That is like celebrate Madonna. Like yeah. Yeah, not not uh, crazy experimental out there, Madonna. She heard our records and she said, "I want the Beastie Boys she to come me. on tour." With she me. loves me. Sure, Madonna liked the Beasties, but they didn't exactly connect with her crowd. Oh my God! Like it or not, these guys were taking the stage. Right. This um, is Madonna, who's. I mean, she was. She was. A, she, she was already kind of offending people a little bit, but she was yeah. definitely like a mall crowd. Like I think even doing like mall concerts at the time. Really, like like Tiffany, like <laughs> maybe. But I, I yeah. but she was you know that's I mean like I said she was you know she was but she was like you know like a Britney Spears kind of figure right, for her yeah. time. She was a you know she was a pop figure and to have this really obnoxious group of guys doing intentionally obnoxious rap. Detroit, they threw cans and stuff at us. Yeah. San Francisco, they hit me in the head with a balled-up sweatshirt. It was like a love-hate relationship type thing. You know, we hated them, they hated us. It was like love. This is so funny. You know what's funny? When I read that, that she had that their first thing, the first like big thing that it was touring Madonna, it just like, it made sense. Like, Madonna would do that. Like, especially 1980s Madonna. Like... Well, I mean, she's a New York person in their New York group, and I could see that. But kind of a punk rock thing for her to do to kind of let kind of let them, you know, tag along on one of yeah. the tours, you know. Yeah. Um, but but I just want to say, people must have been so confused. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, okay, so moving along, uh, the Beastie Boys have sold 26 million records in the United States and 50 million worldwide, making them the biggest-selling rap group since Billboard began recording sales in 1991. Seven of those albums, by the way, went platinum, including Hello Nasty. Hello Nasty is considered their most successful album, earning them a Grammy for Best Rap Performance for Intergalactic and Best Alternative Music Album. Uh, so that's all the uh, background that I was going to give. Sorry. Okay. So to so one of the so I think an important thing to talk about when we talk about the BC Boys is you mentioned the fact that they started out as a punk band and they maintained that ethos throughout their whole career. And I think that's one of the things that attracted me to them when I first discovered the Beastie Boys is that even though they did rap, I think you could look at them and realize, no, they were punk all the way through. Like they had, a, they, they definitely had punk sensibilities, even though they were not doing the punk musical genre. Um, what's probably helpful to know is, I don't know, do you know the history of hip hop, JP? Not, not really. Okay, so hip hop began um, as a result of block parties in Harlem. It, it was born in New York. Um, and what would happen is people would have like weekend barbecues, um, you know, block party barbecues, and they would have um, people would you know pull out their turntables and just play records. Well, there began this tradition of 
of guys they called MCs, the you know that basically the DJ who was host. I mean, you think about like a you know like a wedding DJ or whatever. Same kind of concept, just playing music and talking while they're playing the music. Well, the MCs began to have this um, begin to have this tradition of um, of of rapping of you know, giving this like poetic verse over the music and then occasionally would mess with the turntable, you know, scratch, do those kinds of things. And that began the, that began the, the, the early days of what we would call, what we would call hip hop. What really caused it to explode was the, um, was the same year as the summer of Sam murders when New York city had its infamous blackout. Um, a number of, a number of people um, broke into electronic stores and carted off DJ equipment. And mm -hmm. suddenly there was this massive influx of DJs throughout um, Harlem and other parts of New York, throughout the different boroughs in New York City. Um, and that is seen as the moment of when hip hop really became a thing because it, it, it added this one that's called criminal element to it, right? Mm -hmm. But also it, um, people began to experiment with, with their equipment and what they were doing. You, had, you were gonna say something. Yeah, wasn't it also like the government has sort of started cut funding to public schools more and more, especially in New York, because it was such a horrible time for New York. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. And, and you're, you're, cutting, you're cutting funding to public schools, which means all the music classes and stuff are getting cut and they don't have money for instruments. So like they kind of had to improvise with what they have. Right, people are improvising. And this is the era when like graffiti art is starting to begin, like starting to take, uh, to, to start showing up in New York City and people are, graf are tagging um, subway cars. I mean, if you, I mean, really, if any of our listeners, viewers, want to know what a like what a what a, what like just how grungy new york was in this time period watch a movie like taxi driver or even um saturday escape from night new york. Or... <laughs> no i'm serious escape from new york there are, they, uh, john carpenter has said there are there are places where we just didn't do any set design like we just like nice. also walk around and like it just it looked post post-apocalyptic oh rock on i didn't know that, that uh, and but... uh, the warriors Oh yeah, warriors. But I'm thinking all. But like, also, you've got. Um, I think of one of my favorite shots in in any movie is the scene um, toward the end of Saturday Night Fever, where John Travolta's character is on the subway train listening to, uh, and it's playing Bee Gees. How deep is your love? And like, great use of fluorescent lighting in that shot. Um, but I've one of the things I, I noticed in my more recent viewing of that movie is how much graffiti is in that subway car and how gross that subway car is. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of griminess gave birth to this this music tradition. And around that time, um, you've also got punk as a music, as a musical genre happening in other parts of New York. So there's just this gritty, grungy, do it yourself kind of um, ethos happening within black communities and then the white communities in New York City. And, um, and so um, in, into this world, of course, are the Beastie Boys. I mean, they grow up in New York City, they're from Brooklyn. Um, and they, um, and they sort of embody this very like street punk, um, obnoxious kind of thing. And as you mentioned, they start rapping, but they rap at their punk shows as kind of a joke. But then it takes off. And that's when they shift their direction as musicians. They move away from punk and become rap artists. And that's when they attract the attention of Rick Rubin. Um, Rick Rubin was a punk music producer, but he started becoming interested in hip hop at the, at the same time. And so he winds up signing them and getting them involved. Um, what's, what's interesting to me about this time period is, and, and, and just in terms of the, the culture, um, music culture and street and, and urban culture is that, you know, punk and rap have a similar kind of 
like foundation. They have some similar, you know, American punk and, 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 um, and, and hip hop have this, um, you know, again, do it yourself, right. counterculture happening on a very small scale. People, you know, not necessarily classically trained musically and sort of coming up with things on their own um, and then twisting what's already common in, in the musical landscape. And I find this fascinating because there has been for a long time a tension between punk and rap. Um, there's been this, and, and honestly, an, it is an unchecked racism within yeah. within the punk culture, I think, in response to, to all of that. Um, I started to notice a blending of the two when I became a skateboarder in the late 90s. And um, and I started watching lots of skate videos from like Alien Workshop, DC Shoes, and all of that. And I started to notice that, you know, I came to I came to skateboarding sort of by way of the punk rock, of, of punk rock stuff. Um, but I started noticing in skate videos and things that there'd be a mix of like punk rock, sometimes heavy metal, and also um, um, hip hop um, over people's things. And so it was this blurring of genres, which is just kind of a fascinating thing to me. Um, and um, anyway, so. Um, so the Beastie Boys, of course, they tap into this. And I think one of the things why I find them so appealing and why I was drawn to them is because it's it's a similar trajectory for me is that I I was into punk rock as a kid. Um, and then, you know, it, to me, it's no surprise that the first, because they're the first real rap group I ever listened to right. is Beastie Boys. Um, I could go on, but I'm going to. Okay. Well, no, that's that's a great uh, history lesson. That's a good, a good uh uh, context to to um, the band that we've chosen and stuff. In the well, and, and and one of the reasons I let me just say one of the reasons I mentioned this is because when we when we get into a little bit more and we're talking about the album, it's helpful to under I think it's helpful for people who don't know hip hop to understand the musical conventions of hip hop and what's going on with hip hop because using basically using other people's music is part of the musical convention and 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 one of the things about hello nasty that i find very fascinating and and, and the thing that i is that i've been thinking about a lot in listening to it this time around is the way that samples and other things are used the same way that musician you know like a guitarist will use riffs and licks from different artists to incorporate things they're doing the same thing musically but they're using pre-recorded versions of it rather than taking it off of like the page musically and and borrowing borrowing from it and that goes back to those early days where hip-hop was basically you know a dj act there's somebody rapping over an already recorded song that they're just playing on the record right um and so this becomes the eventual like this kind of rap that we hear the beastie boys doing um which is very much entrenched in the new york rap scene um even today um is still still carries that through line of utilizing um of utilizing samples from and, and musical and, and music from other from other artists um to create this new thing and um and it and it's and it comes to this really interesting place with hello nasty and especially with one of the people that's worth talking about and we'll get to him is um is with uh, mixmaster mike their dj yeah yeah cool all right well uh so let's let's really get into it let me ask you chuck this is sort of part of a music mayhem tradition yeah i ask the person who selected the album uh why did you select this album and um what is your personal relationship <clears throat> with this album well i selected this album um it was, this year was obviously this year's music mayhem was very tough for me um i've since the last one i spent the entire year 
sort of listening to different records and figuring out which one I wanted to. And I've been going through like round and round with a few of them. Um, you and me both, man. I don't know what it is about this year, but I've just been like listening to like just every time I, every time you hear something, it's like I got to keep that in mind for music mayhem. Put a pin in that. Like, yeah. Well, I, part of me was part of me was um, wanting to shake up our musical genre because we've tended to listen to almost exclusively white rock groups. Yeah, for music mayhem, um, you and know, one and, play. and one Broadway play that was hip hop based, um, and so I, I was I really wanted to put some attention to uh, around shifting, like shaking up the genre that we talk about, but also you know finding if there is you know some different some you know some other you know other perspectives and voices to talk about in terms of what we're doing. And I was re- I just honestly I was really close to having us um, talk about the miseducation of Lauren Hill, um, mostly because. Album. Well, it was an album that I kind of hated <laughs> when I was really? a kid, and I but I never really gave it a shot. And then I listened to it, and I love it. I love doo wop, and I think it's. But I realized I don't know how comfortable I was with three white guys talking about an album that's very, very much entrenched in the experience of black women in 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 in, in the late nineties. Um, so I figured if we were going to talk about that, we would have to bring another voice in. Um, okay, that was just sort of my feelings on it, but. Um, um, also I just, anyway, that, that was that. Um, so, so I picked, so I, as I was listening to, listening to things, of course, in a way there's, I, I'm, I was very aware of the irony of the only, of, of the first rap album that we talk about being a rap album produced by three white guys. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and that was actually one of the reasons why I was avoiding talking about, talking about this album. Um, cause I, this was one of my picks fairly early on. But the more and more I listen to a few things and listen to it, I realize it's like, you know, the Beastie Boys, it seems like it's a musical group that seems well within our wheelhouse and what we're and what we're doing. Um, Like I said, I thought that you were a bigger fan of the Beastie Boys and it turns out you are. And so I thought, but it just seemed like inevitable, like why, you know, sort of Thanos, they're inevitable. Why are we not talking about the Beastie Boys? And so it just seemed if there's an album about the if there's a Beastie Boys album for us to talk about that's going to be nerdy. That's going to be like all the stuff that sort of fits within our stylistic and culture and pop cultural wheelhouse. It seemed hello nasty is the album to talk about. And so, um, and so that's why, that's why we're talking about it. Okay. Um, what is your, the, yeah. Oh, good. I was going to ask you about what your personal relationship is with, with the album. Like, did you- so my personal relationship with the album is um, it's the first Beastie Boys album I ever listened to. Um, I had a friend in high school named Eric who was, who was a Beastie Boys fan. And um, he used to like randomly sing um, um, Paul Revere off of um, License to Ill um, and Brass Monkey. And so like I was exposed to those songs just because of him referencing them and singing them and, and just being obnoxious about it. And um, I think a couple of times he played it for me in my car or something, um, but I never really thought much about it. And then um, I remember it was like EGM, it was either Electronic Gaming Monthly magazine. I was really hardcore video gamer at the time um, in, in the late 90s. Um, either that or um, um, Tips and Tricks magazine. I can't remember which one it was, but um, probably it might have been Tips and Tricks, which is a magazine I thought was hilarious. And my friend Josh and I used to read this a lot. They were like super excited about an EBC Boys album coming out. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, and I was a, you know, again, being a video game person, there was sort of this like, oh, other gamers are into this. I should, I should pay attention to it. Um, and it was around that time that the Intergalactic video premiered on MTV. And considering that it's based, it's rooted in Japanese giant monster, you know, crazy cinema. Yeah. 
um, the this fact is, that this is, this is definitely like a, like a Chuck music video. Like, oh, totally. And including into the fact that to the extent that one of the, um, the three beastie boys, um, are addressed as like scientists inside this giant, like atomic age, you know, cardboard box robot. Um, one of them is dressed exactly like Dr. Mifune from, um, Godzilla versus, uh, the terror from the terror of Mechagodzilla, which is one of my favorite shameless series, Godzilla movies. And so I, when I saw this and I watched this, I was like, okay, these guys are clearly on a similar wavelength to me. There's like, and so I, I, I went and bought the album as soon as I could. And it was among the first albums that I first non-Christian CDs that I bought. Awesome. Um, cause that was, you know, part of my life was, we've talked about that on this podcast a few times. And so, um, um, I listened to it and loved it. And my friend Josh, my friend Eric, they could all tell you that for a solid like two year, if not three year period, every time they got in my car, some form of Beastie Boys was playing in my CD player. Um, but we all loved this album and loved the videos because every video was great. Um, you know, uh, Spike Jones is responsible for all the great Beastie Boys videos. And um, there's just this quirkiness to them. Um, and I think, you know, this was around the time where, um, going back to my, when I talked about the history of hip hop, this is around the time that a lot of that gritty urban um, art starts getting sort of legitimated and becomes like considered as like classy high art, you know, graffiti art is seen as like a legitimate art form and skateboarding suddenly enters into like the New York urban artsy scene, you know, um, and so like the Beastie Boys are also kind of getting like this album is this, this sounds like an art, like artwork. It sounds yeah. like art. It doesn't sound like, you know, punk kids making, you know, goofing off and making music just for the fun of it. This sounds like they're actually making an artistic statement. And so um, and so that was something that attracted me to it as well. And I and I and I've since realized that my appreciation of musical genres like jazz and other things largely come out of this album because they incorporate so many different genres. Um, and it was also around this time that I started listening to electronica. And I think that electronic, my, my, my interest in electronica, um, um, came out of, came out of this album as well. So yeah. this, 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 this record really broadened my musical horizons. And that's, that's my biggest personal takeaway with it. It kind of feels ahead of its time in that sense, doesn't it? with yeah. how open it is with um i'll get into this a little bit later but i will say that there is there are some elements to it that was pretty common i think throughout the landscape of music at that time pop or pop music at the time as we were kind of entering the new millennium mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. uh, a lot of like a lot of samp sampling a lot of um you know body movement features uh, <clears throat> a lot of uh at least the music video version has like it's like company by by Fatboy Slim. Yeah, well, there's the the Fatboy Slim um, remixed it. Right, and that's the version that more most people know. Yeah, and you know Fatboy Slim is sort of responsible for a lot of sounds that were kind of transitioning to the millennium too, and so like for them to be kind of be caught up in in that sort of and that and that whirlpool that was happening at the time is, is pretty cool. Um, yeah, and and I will say what's what's interesting to me is because I remember in 1998 is when we uh, well just before then we um, um, a, a rap producer by the name of Sean Puff Daddy Combs yeah. um, became uh, came on the scene as a musician in his own right in memorializing his friend the Notorious B.I.G. in a song "I'll Be Missing You," yeah. which a lot of people criticize because he just straight up 
steals uh, every breath you take from the police yeah, and yeah. just raps over top of it. And it was, and it still stands as, you know, P. Diddy, as he kind of goes by now, his, uh, his musical career is largely built on just straight up stealing other people's songs and just rapping over top of their, like, it's not a sample. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like a remix or a cover almost. Um, and there's a whole genre of hip hop that did that. And I remember a number like when I was a teenager, like being really irritated by that. Biggie did that a lot too. He did that. Yeah, that's true. Biggie did that too. Um, and again, again, like they were, they were, they were, they were New York rappers. Yeah. Um, and, but I just remember, you know, being really annoyed by that. It's like, there's no originality in this. There's no, like, how is that? You know, and you know, Sting played nice because I think it was at the Grammys or whatever that year that Sting came on stage and played every breath you take. Right. Yeah. While while P. Diddy while Puff, Puffy rapped over top of it. And um and uh uh you know, shortly the same year that this album came out, we got Sony's Godzilla movie, um, which was awful, but the soundtrack was incredible. And we got we got Puff Daddy's um Come with me. Come with me, which yeah. is you know, takes cashmere. And um I um I mentioned these two things because it irritated me listening to some of this music, though I love that. I love I love come with me as long as badass, but I, uh, I, it would irritate me a little bit to think like, there's no originality here. Like you're just, you know, whatever, but the beastie boys were, but I was listening to the beastie boys at the same time yeah. and they're clearly sampling and doing all that, but I just never noticed it because one, the samples are really obscure. Um, but the other is that they layer it under all the, some other sounds that you just don't immediately notice it. Um, and of course now I'm less irritated by what Puff Daddy was doing. I was just an obnoxious teenager yeah. at the yeah, time. Yeah. I mean, Puff Daddy was like, I mean, he, he led a lot of the sort of very kind of, uh, the, the, the musical cues and stuff that we were already kind of familiar with. He let them do a lot of heavy lifting. In yeah. Songs. Yeah. So uh, that's, I think that's kind of a key difference. Right. And I, I'll also note that at the time I didn't listen to rap. Um, I thought rap was obnoxious. I didn't necessarily, um, I said a lot of ignorant things about rap when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, you know, but of course, you know, the kind of rap that I was exposed to was whatever was on MTV. And it was at that time, the really, really ostentatious gangster rap right. that was, you know, could be very misogynistic and, you know, uh, very violent at times. Um, and so like, it just never felt like it was my music um whenever it would come or whenever it would it was it was on tv just this i just never got the appeal to it um and so and i just never felt that it had any kind of artistry to it um and again i think it was because i didn't one i didn't understand it and two i was um i was exposed to very mainstream stuff not you know i didn't know about like a tribe called quest or the roots or right. um, de la soul or any of those the, those acts which the bc boys is sort of in their wheelhouse of that style of music and so when i when i encountered the beastie boys um one i the sound they, they bridged the sound because it had almost you know it, it was adjacent to like alternative rock and then also to um as you mentioned you know fat boy slim and, and some of those types of electronic acts yeah. um but there was also a social consciousness to it um yeah which i think is really interesting yeah, social consciousness and a lot of uh, kind of spiritual openness as well. Just that was yeah, because and that part of that is due to the fact that MCA is a Buddhist yeah. and incorporates a lot of that stuff in his in his music. Which is um, funny because you know Madonna was going through the same thing at around the same time, right? When she made her big comeback with uh, Ray of Light, it was all of a sudden very electronic and also yeah. spiritual and socially yeah. conscious. So it's kind of it's interesting. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, so let me give you um, some of my initial thoughts on this album, Chuck. This is also a part of Yeah, yeah. Initial thoughts on the album itself. Yes, yes. Um, I think what's interesting about it and makes it stand out amongst the most uh, what's most things related to BC Boys is that it's it's both irreverent, which is sort of their trademark, right? To be kind of irreverent, sort mm -hmm. of like a bit of a bit of a bit of a kind of a, like you know, license to ill is sort of notorious for being like frat house rock, right? Like like a frat house kind of, you know, douchey, <laughs> douchey <laughs> album. And they've, they kind of spend like most of their career trying to like distancing themselves from that. Well, and let me just say, that I'm glad you brought this up because BC Boys to this day still have a rep because I mean, License to Ill was enormous when it yeah. came out. And, and it gave the BC Boys this reputation particularly um, Fight for Your Right to Party yes. is the song yes. that gives them their reputation. And what they have said in interviews was that it's basically like that was a, like that song was a satire making fun <laughs> of like the frat rock thing. They never intended for it to become an anthem, but they basically said it was like a joke that no one got. And so, yeah, they've tried to they've tried to um, distance themselves from it. One of the songs that's not on this album, it's may, it, it might be if, if not, it's one of my favorite BC Boy songs, and that's Alive. It's a single off of their anthology that came out a year later, and so recorded around this time. It has it has a line in it that's about that sort of acknowledges the uh, homophobia and misogyny that sort of was fostered out of license to ill. Yeah. But yeah, go on. It's, it's well, what I think is interesting. They, they spend so much time trying to distance themselves from that, but at the same time, also kind of embracing the, the irreverent nature of those right. to ill. Um, so like, there's still like you know, you listen to Intergalactic, you can still hear that you know you got a five for your right to party vibe going. Yeah. Um, um, and well, so, but I, I will say, I just, sorry, just to interject really quick. It just, it, it reminded that one of the things I appreciate about them is that they show that making art can be fun. Oh yeah. It doesn't have to, like, you can be arty and fun. It doesn't have to be, you know, super serious artsy and like, you know, snobby and all of that. And then, or, you know, completely mainstream and shallow. Like you can do something really dense like this album, but have fun while doing it. Right. And, and, you know, if I could like describe this album, it would be irreverent, but experimental mm -hmm. and like mind expanding. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's politically and socially conscious and uh, spiritual. Like it really is like a work of art, like not just a bunch of like club songs. Right. And it's, it's very, uh, and, and I guess it's kind of common am amongst like most BC boys songs to be very dense. Cause you know, yeah. you have, you have three people <laughs> making it, they're all singing. Uh, and also very erratic. And, um, because that's just like that's just the that's the BC Boys flavor. But to kind of mix in some of the things we're kind of experimenting with, like it gets pretty psychedelic in some places, um, and it gets kind of uh, groovy, you know. And and there are some songs like uh, the song I don't know, which is just like a complete departure from from anything they've done. Yeah. Really. Um, and even the, the the last track on the song um, was was inst instant death. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's definitely um, which is dark, by the way. You know the background behind that song. I know it's about, it's like about addiction, right? Like it's about it's like, about a, it's about a yeah, it's about a friend of his who I think died of an overdose. Yeah, so it, it's kind of a weird. It's it's, it's a really sad way to end the end the album. Yeah, um, but like to, to me, you know, when, when the album came out, like the the, the three hits were intergalactic, uh, inter, intergalactic planetary, body movement, 
and I guess it was three three MCs and, and one DJ. Yeah, the three kind of big singles. Yeah, remote like, control was also a single, but I don't think it ever got nearly the, the level that those three did. I, I remember that being kind of pushed, and not really catching up. Mm -hmm. um, but three 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 MCs and one DJ is pretty freaking awesome. After that, uh, I love that track. <laughs> like I haven't listened to it in years. I listened to it last night. I was like, oh, this is this is actually really sick. Well, have you seen um, the have you have you seen the video? Yeah, I watched the video. That's why I was like, and the I love the rules. video version. Yeah, because it's not live. Um, so, uh, but th that's, I think that's just so fascinating because these three, these three singles don't really reflect the album. Like, right. <laughs> like it's very, like the three singles that are played, it kind of feels like the logical next step of a Beastie Boys ouvre. Mm -hmm. But then you go a little bit deeper and it's like, whoa, th these people are, are, are taking me places that like you don't really expect to go, especially in like a year like 1998. Yeah. Um, I, I read some article that kind of said that there are tracks in here that you would you would guess you you would probably think was came from like a soundcloud rapper because they get so experimental mm -hmm. um so yeah that's my initial and i i i really enjoyed the track i thought it was a lot of fun and and, and it really kind of like and, and and of course i there definitely are songs in there where it's like yeah this is definitely made to like get high <laughs> like this, there's there's definitely songs in there where it's like this is something you listen to uh, on the couch, we got a bong, and uh, you know, it's it's interesting that you say that because in the song "Alive," which is meant to be a retrospective on their career to that point, okay, um, I can't remember which which BC boy it is who raps the line. He says, "I don't smoke Chiba. I can't stand that crap." <laughs> okay, so, well, I mean, maybe it's just meditating. Then maybe it's good for meditation. Like, uh, maybe, <laughs> or that's his like, or that's a joke that we're just not privy to. Like, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, that's just how they work. Um, so yeah, those are my initial thoughts. Um, uh, I don't know if you want to share like a kind of a brief thing. I mean, you've, you've talked a lot about the album itself, but, but dude, I don't know if you have a, well, I mean, I, I'll tell about my thoughts listening to it again. Cause I hadn't listened okay. to it in years. Okay. Um, you know, I, I'll have like, you know, I'll have my, I'll have my phone on like while driving and stuff and I'll have, you know, it on shuffle and a randomly, you know, song from the album will come on and almost nine times out of 10, it's like three MCs or intergalactic. Mm -hmm. Um, um, or body moving. So like to listen to all the tracks, um, I will say it does remind me of one of the things that frustrated me and kind of what gave birth to the whole Napster movement is that there are a few tracks on there that feel like filler. Yeah. Um, that I'm not really sure that, that like, is this like, is this really like you feel passionate about this song? This is the thing you're dedicating like weeks in, of your life to making. Like, it just feels like, you know, they needed to fill, they wanted to fill out something. I don't know. Right. Um, but I will say the, the three singles are enormous and among, and, and you know, and among the best of the Beastie Boys' songs. And then there are a couple of, uh, there, and then there are three or four non-singles that I think are huge and worth, and worth listening to. Um, and, I forgot how long this album is. It's 67 minutes long. It's yeah, long. I realized that too. Like, wow, this is this, this might be the longest song we've done, <laughs> aside from you know the, the Hamilton. Hamilton. Yeah, um, it's long. But and and the other thing is, I, I would say my first my first thoughts were on listening to it for the with the intent of this episode was, I don't know how the hell to talk about this. <laughs> well, I, that's, you know, I think you know what I think it is, Jack. I think a lot of it is, for better or worse, a, a bit self indulgent. Uh, especially like the last track or not the last track, uh, the next to the last track, Dr. Lee PhD, mm -hmm. which feels five hours long. 
Right. <laughs> Which is just Lee Scratch Perry just doing whatever he wants to do. Exactly. That's what I mean. It's kind of it's kind of self-indulgent. I think the, the the filler parts you're talking about, to me, that's sort of like, let's just add this layer and this layer and this layer and this layer. Yeah, that's that's cool. That That's, that's yeah. Yeah. I, I And when I said that it feels like, like when I was trying to figure out how the hell to talk about this is like, I'm, I realized a little bit that like, I can talk about, I can talk about rumors. I can talk about, um, Graceland. Um, one, those are the, the, the recording process of those albums is really well documented. Yeah. Um, and there's like these really just dense stories behind both of those, both of those records. This was the first record I picked that didn't have that kind of like, you know, there was there wasn't like tragedy or trauma or anything going on in the background of the band. This wasn't a group of people trying to recapture their success. I mean, it was you there's know, no, there's no VH on behind the band behind the music. Yeah, narrative going on. Right. I mean, they had. Um, I mean, the BC Boys had taken a four year break. This is the longest break. And I remember when it came out, it was sort of like, oh wow, like they sort of you know they're they're showing up after being away for several years. Um, but um, I realized that. I can talk about those albums because like I understand how those albums are put together. Like I understand how you write a song and incorporate a guitar, bass and drum. Like I understand the rock and roll musical structure. Um, I listen to so much rock and alternative rock that I, I get that. Like I just get that style of music. It was when I started listening to this again, I was like, I don't know how you like, how do you deconstruct this? Because one, like the lyrics are so dense and you, know, you have to listen to the lyrics and try to like pay attention to that. But then there's also the, the range of sounds and things going on. Cause like, so like one of the ways that I listen to music is um, I, I, I've been, I'll put on headphones and then what I'll do is I'll isolate, like I'll, I'll in my, in my, like I'll try to isolate in my head um, a particular instrument and I'll just try to listen to that instrument throughout the whole song. Interesting. And and then like I'll listen to it again and pick another instrument and I, that way I kind of get, you know, I can kind of picture how all the how all the disparate parts are coming together and like you know that's that's why another album I considered us talking about was Blink One Eighty Two self um, self titled album two thousand three. Um, that was one of the one of those albums where like, I listened to it and I could realize how much how much they were doing in the studio and realize that like a lot of the stuff they were doing wouldn't translate to a live performance and stuff like that. So that, that's just the way I listen to music. And I realized like with the Beastie Boys, I'd never done that. I never really paid attention to the sounds behind the lyrics. I paid attention to the lyrics. Um, and so this time around, I started kind of, that's why I started doing some reading about, and I found that website that shows like what's being sampled in all the songs, because like that's a statement too, right? When you're right. picking a, when you're sampling something, you're, you're, you're trying to make a statement about it. And yeah, you sent Matt and I all the samples they use. I, I, I should have, I should have actually read it. I didn't really look into it. That's okay. Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. It's okay. Um, I mean, it's, and it's, I mean, there, once you start getting down that, that rabbit trail though, dude, like it gets yeah. so, you can get so lost in it. But, um, um, which by, by the way, I did learn that they, they sample themselves a lot. Yeah. In this. And, um, that's kind of interesting. I, I did notice a few, there, there's a few callbacks and stuff like, uh, yeah. 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 Um, but, um, um, yeah, I shine on the mic like ultra bright. I think that's a line from another album as well, or one of their songs. But anyway, um, um, so my initial thoughts were, like I said, just like, I don't know how I was going to talk about it. But by by reading up on a few things and starting to pay attention to things in the background um, um, and, and starting to kind of see the very, I mean, what they're doing 
what they're doing with some of these songs is unbelievable. I mean, you know, you've got you've got Mixmaster Mike, who is a DJ, but he's a very particular kind of DJ. Um, he when we think of DJ now, we think of someone like Mixmaster Mike, meaning like a turntable person. Like they call it turntablism, who is basically treating two turntables or more as an instrument. And is you know making sounds based off of the scratches and the stops and the faders and running it through like effects pedals and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know he was a pioneer of that. He was a, a part of a group of DJs that pioneered that kind of work. Earlier DJs mostly played music and then occasionally would like stop the record, scratch the record to in order to get that like that verse to loop back around again or whatever. Right. Um, he so he i mean if you're if you pay attention to the dj work it's amazing what he's doing um and his familiarity with each track that he is using in order to get the beats out of it to loop it right to do i mean he just he, he is a master and he's treating it like anyone would who's like an expert at a guitar or whatever i mean just unbelievable but then on top of that you have a lot like an intergalactic you listen you've got a live drummer playing an actual drum kit Right. And that's another thing that people don't give the BC Boys credit enough for is that they used actual musicians for their records. They didn't just use pre recorded beats or they didn't use like drum machines. They actually had an in house drummer akin to like the roots or something um, playing these beats. So you have a DJ who is doing turntable work. You have a drum, you have drum, sometimes a guitar. Then you have someone who's playing samples and utilizing samples under all of that. So you just have these massive like just a mass of, yeah. of different kinds of musical conventions happening this is basically like the, the bread and butter of lincoln park right like yes exactly the bread and butter of lincoln <laughs> i mean i guess you're away it is yeah i mean, it's, they, it's, it's, I mean this is I'm, I'm just trying to say like that that is like what lincoln park was too like it, that's it, true it, lincoln park wouldn't be lincoln park if it wasn't for like the beastie boys that's true i could that's i mean that's a really fair point because they have because they had a dj uh, 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 incubus is another band that yeah. um oh, using, utilizing a dj um and you know but but incorporating it in a much more conventional rock setting right. um yeah by the way lincoln park is one of the, one of those interesting bands that people are very dismissive of them as sort of you know lame new metal rap metal but, rap metal but they have a very different but they're not they're not like they're not like like 311 or something or or Papa Roach or any of those kind of terrible bands. No. Um Lincoln Park and and I think you realize their particularly their rap bonafides when they did that mashup with Jay-Z. Oh yeah. That was um and um you realize they're actually really they know what they're doing and they're very talented at what they do. But um but yeah so um and so that's that 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 level of that level of just layer of, of layering and just that kind of musical density just really impressed me in what they're doing. And I think that it's musically, it's something that doesn't get enough credit and they don't get enough credit for, um, for that. I mean, I'm sure there are other rap artists that are doing similar things, but there's just, there's a layer to this. It's very different. Um, and a mixture of, of genres and conventions that few other rap acts seem to be doing or any other musical acts seem to be doing. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's, do you want to, I, I had an idea of where we could probably, uh, how we could kind of structure the talking about tracks. Sure. Um, do you want to just like go ahead and talk about the three hits and then we could talk about our favorites as sort of, as sort of we, go, we start yeah. with the hits and then go to the deep cuts. Yeah, let's do that. We can all, because we can both talk about the hits because that's already going to like overlap. With right, us, right, right. 
Okay, cool. So let's so let's do that. We'll talk about the hits, and then we'll do the, the more deep cut stuff. And we'll see like which ones are your favorite tracks outside of the hits. Sounds good. Cool. All right. So let's Chuck. Let's talk about the hits of this song. Let's this do song. it. And I, and I think we should open it with uh, Intergalactic Planetary. It's just intergalactic. I I knew that. <laughs> I'm cool. I'm hip. I'm. <laughs> but let me tell. Let me tell you. It it, it took me years before I realized that they were saying uh, intergalactic um, planetary another dimension uh, oh, really? uh, with a vocorder. I never <laughs> I never knew what they, I just, it took me a very long time before I realized that's what they were saying. I, I love it. Uh, this song, Chuck, it, it takes me back, buddy. Yeah, dude. Uh, this song dropped when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. I think I was mm -hmm. 15 at the time. So sophomore year in high school, my favorite year in high school. Okay. I, yeah, I was, I was 16. Yeah, I was, I was in Cypress Creek actually. So living in Orlando. Um, and um, I, I remember when it, it came out, like everyone just, everyone just loved it. Mm -hmm. Like you heard it in the hallways, you heard it at the lunchroom, you heard it everywhere, everywhere you went. And um, I think what was kind of cool about it is uh, Cypress Creek had like this kind of field day thing where like all the different classes were uh, facing off against each other, some, I don't know, sports thing, whatever. And like whenever like somebody would make a point or something, they would, they, they assigned a, a current, a currently popular song to each class. And the sophomore class was intergalactic. And we all lost our minds when we found out that they assigned that to us. And they come to the other classes, like, oh, I wish we had that song. <laughs> and so, like, whenever we scored some kind of point or whatever, it was just like just just like crowds of high schoolers just singing along to Intergalactic. It was awesome. Um, so, yeah, I, I have a fondness for this song, and I, I do I love it very much. Um, and the music video rules. Yes, uh, I, <laughs> and I think what's 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 interesting about Chuck, you said earlier that like when you first heard them, I mean, when you first saw Intergalactic and you see and you heard them, they're like on the same wavelength as you. I feel the same way whenever I watch any of the music videos. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like like you know, like you know, like the first the first short film we made <laughs> was RAs, which was like highly, highly, highly uh, influenced by by sabotage. We stole sabotage. We, yeah, <laughs> and um, or at least the music video for sabotage. And I, I don't know. We use we use the music. No, I didn't use the music. Aren't you? I used the Kill Bill soundtrack. Okay. For that, the battle without humanity or honor. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, there were some people who were like, "This is like sabotage." I'm like, shut up! I've always wanted to do this. <laughs> um. Can we get, get really quick? Uh, our viewers, this is okay. By the way, let me just say, I'm so glad we're talking about the BC boys because there's an element to them that makes me feel like this is something you and I definitely like, like you, me and Keelan sort yeah. of in in college, like there was something to me to this that was like, yeah, we're like, we're part of this. I just, I, I, a kinship yeah. with what, with, with, with them. And um, the fact, so RAs, for those who don't know, JP and I, uh, cooked up this idea. I was an RA, um, and we cooked up this idea of doing a, a movie or a show. Right? It was you and Keelan. You and Keelan had this idea for for RAs, and like you told it to me, and I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. We were getting so it, for those in college, you, you know, there's a role called the resident advisor, and we thought it'd be funny to treat it as though you're a cop, like a '70s cop show. And so, um, and I mean, be honest, Keelan and I were obsessed with the sabotage video, and that's really what put the idea in our yeah. head. And <laughs> 
and so, but we thought that'd be really funny. We had this whole idea of doing like a short film with like a plot and everything around around it. And we ended up just sort of making a music video. And then you became friends with me and like I, yeah. I turned it into like a, it was like a trailer. It was a trailer, yeah. Yeah. And uh, let's see, we, we waterboarded a kid for it. <laughs> that was the best. We took a kid and put his head in a nasty fountain. He like, was a trooper. He was, he was a trooper. Uh, James took him, dunked his head like repeatedly in a fountain. Like we're trying to get a confession out of him. Remember when we um, we we put like sugar or something to make like lines of coke? It was and it was it was brown sugar because we couldn't find any sugar. Yeah, and it was uh, yeah. And so we made, they made lines of coke and like I, like Keelan and I busted in and like beat this kid up. We caught him like. Cause, but I remember when we did the whole sh shot with that kid, James, you took many, many takes of where he, he ran out of that door. That's up that really terrifying steep staircase outside of Rinker Hall at PBA. Yeah. And then Keel and I immediately came out bus. Like people have to appreciate the fact that both Keel, I had on a members only jacket, a polyester dress shirt with an enormous wide tie and like rust, like burnt orange polyester pants. Yeah. Um, I, did I have a mustache? You had, I think this is when you had chops. This is when I had my pork chop sideburns, yeah. my long hair and enormous sunglasses. <laughs> and, and, and I had a, and I had an airsoft gun yeah, and, and, yeah. and, and a badge. And like, we buzzed, I kicked open the door and I yelled, RAs, please. <laughs> and it was happening like as classes were letting out and kids were like, what is going on around <laughs> and, and it was great. I, I had like, I had, you know, Keelan would take out like in his vest and aviators and stuff. And I, I had him like running on top of cars and stuff. Like that. Oh, that's right. <laughs> do you still have that footage? Uh, somewhere I do. I know I, I have to have it somewhere. Oh, I would love to see that again. It was so much fun. Yeah. Um, and and I, well, I, 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 the reason I bring it up is because there is one shot in the intergalactic video that I tried to recreate with, with you and Keelan, which you guys are, it's the snap zoom on the three of them as they're running toward the camera. I did oh, the yeah. exact same shot with you and Keelan and running down the alley towards the That's camera. That's right. That's right. So like they, they heavily inspired me, like but all their music videos were like that. Yeah, so like they, well, they use Spike Jones for crying out loud. Well, I mean, Spike Jones. Well, they they also directed them themselves. According to my my research, mm -hmm, uh, Body mm -hmm. Movin' and Intergalactic were directed by uh, I think Adam Yash. Really, I thought Spike Jones did both those videos. Spike Jones, I think, did their very early stuff. Like so, like so. What you want? I know, I know we did that. Spike Jones. I could have sworn like all the ones involving them in like goofy costumes and stuff were directed by. But I guess you're right. Directed by them, but you know they were friends with Spike Jones, so of course they look like Spike Jones. <laughs> they look like Spike Jones music videos. I guess, yeah. Um, Spike Jones did sabotage. Yes, yes, that's right. He did do that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, that's why they look like <laughs> Spike Jones movies because they, you know, the, the same thing. So like heavily influenced by all of that. Um, and uh, um, what was I going to say? Where was? I? Oh yeah. So yeah, I, I love I love the song. Um, I don't know. I didn't really like kind of go deep into the lyrics and what they mean. I because to me it's just like it's just a bop, right? Like it's just like a fun, yeah. awesome song. And like I, the lyrics are hilarious. My favorite part, Chuck. My favorite part in it to this day is um, Ad Rock's. There's a part where Ad Rock uh, just kind of like goes insane. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about? It's just like. Now when I wrote graffiti and my name was Slob, if my rap suit, my beads is stock, step from the table when I start to chop, I'm the lumberjack, a DJ ad rock. Like he goes insane that part. Like I always thought that was hilarious. And well, like, I mean, I, it's my favorite part to rap to. 
And in the video, they like speed him up. Yeah. So it looks like he's going nuts. I love that part. And like the, the verse it leads into, I'm sure, is like part of one of the things because they mentioned Mr. Spock, right? Yeah. Right. Which of course leads to the one of my one of my favorite like nerd conversations to have is the fact that Kirk listens to the Beastie Boys and the Kelvin Timeline Star Trek, and they regularly reference the original Star Trek TV show and a Mr. Spock. So did when Kirk met Spock, was he like, huh? Um did they not have the video for to check it out? I think maybe World War Three happened before 1998, right? Is it maybe? I don't know. No, don't because know. they listen. They know because uh, they listen to Body Moving in okay. Into yeah, Darkness. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what were you thinking, JJ? Come on, <laughs> JJ Abrams loves Beastie Boys. By he the way. does. It's really funny how much he loves Beastie Boys and well, Oasis. There's that, well, because there's that. There's that. Um, there's that. Um, that alien um, in uh, in um, the Force Awakens named Slow and Low. Okay, a, you know, you know, I'm talking about the guy who has the alien has sort of like the Fu Manchu like mustache okay. thing. All right. yeah, um, yeah. Who he's one of the X-wing pilots. His name is Slow and Low. And then there's another alien. That same species is the one that Jordan that um, J, that uh, isn't that the same species that um, JGL jo, uh, uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt plays. He voices in. I don't, I don't remember. Because there's another one in The Force Awakens, or sorry, in uh, The Last Jedi, and they named him, um, oh my gosh, what do they name him? Because they're slow and low. I was going to drive me nuts because he's titled after another BC Boys song. And it's become like the convention that that alien species, all of their names are, re are BC Boys references. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> um, it'll come to me later, but yeah. Cool. Uh, so like what? So I'm guessing Intergalactic is, is you know it's 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 your song. That's like it's your. I love the song. I love the video. Yeah. Uh, the video, of course, being that it's it's set in Tokyo and it has giant monsters and it's just clearly to me it just it, it comes across as a video made by people who spent their Saturday mornings w as kids watching watching Japanese B movie monster movies and watch shows like Ultraman and stuff like that, which I had totally grown up watching as well. And so I, th that was when I, like I said, you know, that, that video made me like, I, I had to have the album after I saw that video because I just knew like this, this were a group of people that I would get and they seemed to get me and growing up as a fairly weird kid in a very Christian environment. Like I needed that. I needed to know that there was someone else out there who really liked guys in rubber suits, like rubber monster suits, destroying cardboard cities and like loved it, not making fun of it. Right. And like, you know, and then like with the body moving video is another one, you know, there's a lot of influences on like sixties, 1960s spy movies and things that just, yeah, that's, that's influenced by a spy movie called danger, Di Di yeah. danger, diabolique or diabolic. Yeah. Yeah, and so like the fact that like they 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 clearly had seen some of the same things I had seen, and this was like you know this was in the early days of where people were referencing old video games and old TV shows in their um, in their music, you know like I mean there's a there's a song on here one of the songs in here um, is it might be the first it might be the move that like references um, Thurston Howell the third from um, from is that Gilligan's Island. I think so. Yeah. So again, like these were, this was very clear to me. These were people who had that, you know, they were older than me, but we, but they had similar interests that I had even at, at this age, you know, as a kid growing up on watching TV land, uh, you know, 
playing old video games and watching giant monster movies and listening to punk rock. It was like, these guys get that. They get that life. Yeah, cool. they're hanging, and then again, hanging out with you know people like Spike Jones, who was famous for making skateboard videos. So, yeah, yeah, we directed "So What You Want" music video, which is my favorite Beastie Boys song. Great, and also, of course, then wanted to direct uh, "Where the Wild Things Are." Yes. Um, cool. So that's that's intergalactic. Let's talk yeah. about. Uh, let's. I want to stir fry you in my walk. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just like saying that. Um, by you in my walk. That's it, yeah, yeah. Um, some great, some great little lines in this. Yeah, yeah, dude. Um, there's also coming, uh, coming from Uranus to check my style. <laughs> I love my sugar with coffee and cream. Oh yeah. Well, the, I, what is it? The very first line of the whole album is 50 cups of coffee, and you know it's on." Yeah, <laughs> I love that line. And I love that. I love the music video. It's just like the the giant robot comes to Earth, and he's just like, and he lands in the middle of the city. Everyone's scared. Everyone's away, but he—he's just dancing. Like he's—he's he's not bothering anybody. And, he's just popping and locking. I mean, he breaks that one window, but like he, he's just—he's yeah. doing the robot, and then someone like comes to mess with like, no, leave him alone. He's just—he's just dancing. Yeah, he, he's not <laughs> trying to hurt anybody. And I, I love—I I love all the shots of them and, and their and their, you know, those construction outfits, like doing the Power Ranger poses and stuff. Like that's iconic yeah. to me, man. Like that is so cool. Like I—that's—that's I, that's like something I wish I could I could come up with. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Again, they were having fun. Absolutely. And that was and that was like before like Blink 182 came along and we're like doing similar things, you know, yeah, being obnoxious yeah. and having fun. Absolutely. Um, so I guess we could move on to like body moving. Yep. Um, which is uh, you know, I, I feel like if, if you're if you don't like Beastie Boys, you probably find that to be a very obnoxious song. Yeah. <laughs> um that's where they that, that's where they started incorporating Fat Boy Slam, right? Is that uh well, no, okay, so Fatboy Slim did the remix, which was used in the music video version of it, which yeah. is, and was played on the radio a lot. Um, the album version is not Fatboy Slim. There's no involvement with Fatboy Slim. Okay. Um, but it's, I didn't listen uh, to the album version, so sorry. Whoops. It's all right. The, the, album version, the album version is actually a fairly, a fairly shockingly dense song because there's some very interesting references in it because it references, it samples um, Oye, Oye Como Vai. Um, and um, I can't remember the other song, but like, you know, if you listen to like that, if you listen to that um, steel drum line that's in that song, it's just very interesting what's going on musically with that. But yeah, and then of course they're sampling an, uh, um, a, a, from 1970, a record that's basically teaching you how to dance. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what that like, take it one step to the left and repeat. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I didn't know they say flame on, which is uh Yes, flame on. I'm gone. I'm so sweet like a nice bonbon. Yeah. <laughs> um, um I guess I don't, I don't really have much to say. So except, except that I just really I really love the music video. Uh um, well, this is let me just say this is one of these albums where I think it's tough to talk about it without talking about the videos. It was very much it was very much in like the golden the golden age of MTV. Um, and it, you know, it's, and it's, it, and the videos are just so iconic and they, and they tied into the overall aesthetic of the record in a way that not too many other, not too many other albums ever, or, you know, have, you know, it's, you, you just like, like when I listen to intergalactic, I see the video. When I listen to body moving, I see the video. Like they just, it, it, it they're, they're inescapable. Yeah. It was also a pretty popular video. Like uh, when, um, 
when I was in high school. We were in high school, like we had, they did the announcements over like a, you know, their own TV channel, right? Which mm -hmm. is like a lot of high schools. I don't know if they still do that, but it was pretty popular back in our day. And uh, they would always show music videos before they started and the body movement, I got played like once a week. Every nice. week for the entire school year <laughs> to the point where like and it was funny because like in, in the one class i had where that video would, would come up people would just be like oh because it was early in the morning you know and you just had like an english class and then like body movement has this, had that has said that sort of repetitive sound to it where it's like you know if you haven't had yeah. your coffee yet it's like uh, don't eat this right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah um Okay, so I mean, is there anything else? I don't know. I'm sorry, I don't really have Good song. It. I mean, that's, I just feel like that one is, is a good song. Yeah, okay. So then let's talk about the other one, um, which is... Um, three MCs. Three MCs and one DJ. Um, well, I, I, really quick, I have two things I want to say. The end of Body Movement, right? That end of Body Movement is the one that, if you're listening to it all the way through, that's one that ends with that great, like that random thing where the guy is like, you know what I think would be nice? So go, I wish that I could go outside and play basketball in the rain without yeah. getting wet. And then it gets right into Mixmaster Mike's voicemail. Right. Which yeah. I love that they include that as the intro to the song. What a perfect way to introduce this song is to have, yo, this mix, yo, Adam, this is this is Mixmaster Mike. I want to collaborate with you on a couple of tracks. Right. You know, I got some I got some stuff right here. And you just hear like him, like the idea that he's he's he is he it comes across like an amateur. And I love it. It's like, oh, because when I first listened to this album, my friend Josh and I were like, oh, this is hilarious. Like they've got like our, our, our initial assumption was, oh, they've got some like really crappy DJ. Like they, they recorded a phone call from this crappy DJ who wanted to like who wanted to collaborate with them. And they're making fun of this guy. And then you listen, you're like, oh, no, he's actually really good. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I, I love this song. Like it, it's it's just a, it's such a like a like bare bones. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's really stripped down. It's not like super produced. It, it really, it's three MCs and one DJ. Mm -hmm. And and they're, they're recording in like a small room. I mean, is, is, the, is the setting that the video takes place, is that kind of like, is that pretty true to like how it was recorded? Like, is that? I, I Yeah, I believe that, I believe where they recorded the video is where they recorded the album version of the song. The album version of the song has a little bit more production in it. If you watch the video, which the video is hilarious. Yeah. Because I love that they're just standing in their apartment posing. Yeah, and he's coming at the big buzz and nobody, and like one guy looks at it and, like, eh, eh. Um, <laughs> and then you go, he's wearing the Ghostbusters backpack for no That's what reason. I was saying. He's, he's a Ghostbuster for some reason. <laughs> um, and uh, and I love that, but that the video is completely live. Like they they did yeah. that in one, like that's one take, I think. Um, you can tell because how 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 it was how the cameras were set up and stuff. Yeah, and which reveal which is cool because the beat of that song is great and it's entirely done through the turntable. That is all based off of the way he's hitting the record to get that to get that sound, which is, I mean, everything that goes. I mean, just listening to it. I listened to it on on my way over to record today. Just like I, I, I cannot wrap my head around how you make turntables make those sounds. I know. Yeah, I've, I've always been kind of fascinated with that. That the the amount of talent it has to take to just kind of like to turn that into an instrument. Well, my friend Josh, he and I, I mean, we, uh, as a result of that song, we both developed an obsession with turntables and that whole DJ thing to the extent that, uh, that Josh went out and bought like two Technics turntables to try to like figure out how to do that work. I don't know if he got the fader and all that stuff, but, um, there's a really funny story about that. If I ever have him on the show, I'll have him share it because it's, 
it, he got a lot of trouble for that because he wasn't supposed to buy them. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's just, if you're, if you're to me, it's like the, it's the best song to listen to. If somebody is ever dismissive of DJing as like, Oh, you're just playing other people's music. Oh no. Listen to this guy because this is, this is, there's some real talent involved in what he's doing. Yeah. And then the music video is like something I would show at a film festival. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I, I really, I just, I love, I love that aesthetic. Like I love, I love the, the they okay they did a live which is great which I love, and then the, the way the cameras are set up, I, I like to me that's that's just like a really cool aesthetic to me that that really appeals to me that gives it that sort of like almost kind of like an acoustic kind of thing like it's it's mm -hmm. sort of like their mm -hmm. acoustic song in a way, right? Um, even though they, there is an acoustic song in this album that actually is an acoustic song, yeah. Uh, but um, Nine Inch Nails is something similar. Um, like ten years ago, with uh, the hand that feeds, um, but there's more movement. They have the cameras more movement, but it's kind of the same idea, and it's actually really cool. Um, mm -hmm. Look at the video for that, by the way, if you're, if you're interested in more stuff like that. That's uh, the hand that feeds. But well, and 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 again, I mean, the fact that you mentioned that you would show this at a film festival is is part of what also another element of what made the BC Boys, especially Hello Nasty, appealing to me, is that. It, it appeals to artsy people. There's an yeah. artistry to what they're doing. They're doing artsy things. They're yeah. not just, you know, goofing off, which a lot of their previous records sound like they're kind of goofing off. I mean, Paul's Boutique, I think is a bit of an exception because that's a really amazing artistic statement. But I, um, this, this, you know, this feels like they had some European, you know, musical and artistic sensibilities that they're folding into what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I one time read a review of this. They referred to it as a Euro pop record. <laughs> I could see that totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, I I would I would put I would put three MCs and, and one DJ on like a video art installation. Like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that would work. Yeah. Um. So cool. So let's uh, all right, let's 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 kind of move on a little bit. You want to start getting into the deep cuts? Yeah, let's get into some deep cuts because um, I mean we could talk about remote control, but because it's the other single off of it, but it wasn't really that. I don't know that it was that big of a hit. Uh, um, I yeah, I mean, I, going through, um, I mean, one of the things that I mean, we've talked about this the hip hop album. It's important to note, I think, also that, and as like you said, you just go off these big hits, you get a sense, you you get sort of an idea of an album that it is that that, that Hello Nasty is not. Okay. Um, it really is. In many in many ways, a quieter, um, you know, artsy album with a lot of lounge, bossa nova, and jazz elements in it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because it's got a number of these songs that are instrumentals, like "Sneaking Out the Hospital," which is great. Um, 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 by the way, I have there. I have the Beastie Boys. Um, the uh, what is it? The the in sound from the far out or whatever, which is their instrumental compilation because they've done several instrumental albums of, or instrumental songs over the years. They made a compilation of just their instrumental pieces and put it on a CD. And it's really, really neat to listen to. Um, but um, um, I mean, oh gosh, it's, it's really tough for me to like pick a few, but I'll, 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 I'll keep it simple. I okay. really like, I really like later on down the album. Um, let's say, I mean like the grass, the, the grasshopper unit, keep moving, which is a song right after three MCs is a great song. I don't really have much to say. It's a great song, but the two that, outside of the hits that I listen to the most are the negotiation limerick file. Oh yeah. Um, I have that one. In my, in my and I, cause I really like that like space pan 
um, sound that they use for the percussion. Um, and it's just, it's got a very Eastern sound to it. And I just really like the sound of it. And I really like the fact that the, that the, that the, the rapping is, is a little more subdued. They're not yelling their lyrics and, and, and as they often do. Um, and then and I love a lot. It's in the oh, style of a limerick. Right. It's in the style of limerick. And I also, and I also like Electrify, which is a song right after that. And yes. I like Electrify because, um, they use a Rachmaninoff song. <laughs> they right. use a piece of Rachmaninoff music to, I think, or no, Stravinsky It's Stravinsky. Uh, classical music for the for the song, but the way it sounds with these big like zoom 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 zoom, it makes me it always made me think of like a Godzilla movie. Like it sounds like a Kira Fukube's scores from various Toho Godzilla like monster movies. And to the extent that Josh, my friend Josh, and I thought of it uh, that they they had sampled some kind of kaiju score, um, okay, you know from Ultraman or something. But um, it wasn't until I researched this that I realized that it was a Stravinsky song and not from a giant monster movie. Um, but I like that because I like that they have this, um, it opens with like, it sounds like is it this, it's like sampling crickets or something. And then, and then it goes into this big, like, I mean, sorry, I'm about to play this by accident. Um, it go and then it goes right into this, these big, like cello bass, like, like upright bass sounds. And they're using that as the bass, as the, as the beat line for, um, for this, for this rap song. I mean, it's just, you know, right. you know, it's, it's a, and it's, it's just it's great and 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 it fits like you know there's this song is called electrify and even though they're using these organic sounds it sounds electric it's just uh um and it's just that's a song i those are the two songs outside the big hits that i that i come to a lot um um song for the man um little little subdued um bit um and um um that's that's i think that song is when it started to really separate my expectations. Um, it started to really kind of like subvert who they were, right? Okay. Because that's right. when they start to get that that because I have that on my list too. Uh, that's when it starts to get kind of psychedelic and experimental and jazzy, um, and it's it's uh, and just like the lyrics and stuff. Uh, I don't know how to explain like the effect they're using um, mm -hmm. when, when they're you know doing the vocals. Um, but it's like that's where I was like, okay, this is like this is like when I used to listen to that reggae station, West Palm Beach, like right. <laughs> uh, so that that's a really cool song. Yeah, I just wanted to note that. Yeah, it's um um, you know, and I also I love I love that the album opens with dis with super disco breaking. I love that. I, I like that song. Oh, I did too. I, that it sets the tone for the whole record. That 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 initial like dern dern you know, like great you know, sampling hear, in that song. Yeah, and then, and like I said, the first line of the song is 50 cups of coffee and you know it's on." Which, what a what a gr opening salvo for this because it the album does seem like you've had a lot of coffee and you're highly you're you're really energetic up front and then you start to kind of crash and then yeah. you get a second burst and then you just sort of you know then it's instant death at the end you know right. it's um, it's, yeah, yeah. it's you know it just it just it, it it sets that it's it's just great it's a great. And I and it's a song I think about almost every morning when I have coffee. It's like fifty cups of coffee, and you know it's on. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, okay, so is, is that is that are there? Is, is that I mean, those are the, those are the the ones outside of it. I mean, again, like this is where it's tough for me to talk about this because okay. you know I mean, I'm glad we're not doing this year around, going trying to go track by track because <laughs> yeah. you start then you start getting into like oh well they're sampling this and this track and that you know and that's communicate. It just it gets it can get really dense and 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 boring. Right, yeah. um the hits are really fun to talk about um and 
And again, like, I don't want to be exhaustive in trying to like, you know, analyze the meaning of this lyric or whatever. I mean, cause again, it's, 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 it's very artsy and electric and Euro poppy, but it's also fun. And, um, and I, you know, and a lot, and it's, you know, I just, you know, you should, you should just listen to the album. Well, I, I got a little, <laughs> a little carried away and, and an analysis for, for one song. That's good. Go um, for it. Most of the songs we've already kind of, the way you talk about in your list, so I'm not going to, you know, retread like super disco breaking song from the man mm -hmm. um, but putting shame in your game okay okay it's like this mix of irreverent humor and also just like surprisingly spiritually conscious yeah uh like a bird floating down on a new york breeze every thought in the mind is a planted seed so watch the mind or the thoughts will stack before you know before you know it, they're uh boomerang and i'm, I'm back mm. Like this is all. Like, this is like this is it's it's mind expanding, right? Like right. And I, and I can keep going. This this verse here. Uh, Times an illusion as the mountains race by. Too fast to really grasp, though we may try. Deny till we die. Oh my my. These thoughts that mislead and then multiply second by second, any minute by minute, and then other minute. Like this is like this is like <laughs> this is. I don't know. I I mean, am, am I am I. Uh, Am I, am I thinking too much? No, I mean, like, <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's one of the important things uh, when talking about the BC Boys in general is to talk about MCA's Buddhism and yeah. his and his Tibetan activism because he he put on it. I mean, they they hosted, um, you know, a big you know free Tibet concert. I mean, that whole free Tibet thing from the '90s resulted from the Beastie Boys. I mean, they were they were big movers in all of that. Um, his MCA's Buddhism um, came you know, after ill community or after license to ill. And I think that's one of the reasons why the BC was realized how kind of bothered they were that that record had for them and for, and what it had kind of done. Um, um, and, and so that, you know, that elevated, you know, cause there, I mean, again, there license to ill has songs like Paul Revere, which is, um, and Brass Monkey, which are, you know, really vulgar, profane songs that are funny and 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 all of that. But there's a, there's not really they're they're kids. They're songs that are that that young obnoxious New York kids are doing. Like for instance, so I went to I went to New York and Canada years ago, and I um uh, we were in Brooklyn getting on getting on the train, and there were these like three or four guys, young you know, teenagers or older teenagers, um that were um you know they're in sweatshirts and you know you know sneakers the whole you know there's urban urban kids and they were obnoxious and they were you know they were they, they were they were just kids. anyway one of them grabbed like this really large icicle it was winter and they had this large icicle and the kid like held it in front of him like 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 it was a like a phallus <laughs> and uh and he like they were joking you know goofing off showing that and then the train was coming and he walked to the edge of the platform and had it like hanging over the tracks and he like swung it as the train arrived. So like he hit the front of the train with this phallus icicle thing and it exploded all over, um, all over the platform and they were laughing and all this stuff. And I mean, I remember Kane and I were like, wow, that's super dangerous. But when I saw these guys, I was like, that's, that, 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 that's what I imagined that the BC boys were like when they were teenagers, when they first got their career started, they looked yeah. at, they were acted just like these kids, these, these, you know, Brooklyn rat kids. And I realized, that's who records license to ill. Yeah. Um, that's not who records hello nasty. Yeah. 
because in the interim, MCA becomes a Buddhist and that Buddhism suddenly makes them mature. I mean, they obviously grow. I mean, they're in their thirties when they're recording, you know, they're closer to our age when they're recording, um, hello nasty. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they've matured in general as people, but they have this spirituality to it. And that spirituality leads them to kind of look back on their, their early legacy and realize that there were some, there were some troubling things that they had done. Um, and, and I think it, and on top of that, it informed, it informs a lot of their thought and their spirituality going forward. And they definitely incorporate that into a lot of their music. I mean, I think it's check your head that has like a mantra, like a song that's like just a straight up like mantra. It's like, I think it's called Shambhala or something in it or something like that. Um, and like that, that lyric that you just quoted, that's, I mean, that's a very Zen like those are all like very Zen-like Buddhist statements, you oh, know, yeah. watching a bird descend, you know, time is a, an illusion as mountains speed by. I mean, it's, and there's other races. We're all connected like Legos. Like, <laughs> yeah, like that's, 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 yeah. you know, and it's, and it's an interesting thing because, you know, a lot of hip hop has incorporated spirituality into it. I mean, DMX's albums are, are full of these really elaborate prayers and things that he is that he's incorporated in them over the years. And, you know, a number of rap artists have become Muslims and then tried to incorporate some, you know, Muslim um, concepts into, you know, and that's of course tied to the black, the black Muslim movement. That's been a big part of black culture for, for a while now. Um, and so the fact that like, you know, it's, it's not unheard of, but to have, but to have Eastern, to have some really, really, you know, far Eastern um, um, East Asian, um, spirituality incorporated into, you know, music like that was something that we hadn't, we hadn't really seen too, too much of in a while. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course comes in a, you know, and this, this is being introduced in a, you know, there's gotta be a zeitgeist because, um, you know, the matrix is just coming down the pike and it's going to do incorporate a lot of Buddhist spirituality into a very big blockbuster thing. Right. So, um, and, you know, I think what's interesting is like, I, I'm kind of interesting. I'm interested in how this, this happened to them and, and like the fact that they were all sort of able to embrace it together. Like right. it wasn't just MCA and his Buddhism. It, it, it seems like something that would happen in a band and it would like break them up. Right. Right. But it didn't. Um, and, and then you had like, uh, Adam Horowitz. I just had to look this up cause I, I was kind of briefly familiar with Adam, Adam Horowitz started dating, um, or married, uh, Kathleen Hanna. Who was the the front person for the band Bikini Kill, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, if you're not if you don't know your punk and alternative history, uh, Kathleen Hanna was the person who inspired Kurt Cobain's uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Ah. She's the one that, she's the one that actually spray painted Kurt Smells Like Teen Spirit on the wall, and that's what inspired the song. Um, but she had her own band called Bikini Kill, which is a part of the Riot Girl movement, which is like super feminist punk rock. Right, based around like sort of the you know the punk scene and, and zines and stuff. Right, and just for the record, Riot Girl is you know spelled G R R L. Yeah, look it up. Girl. That's a great great music came out of that scene, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. especially Bikini Kill with with their song Rebel Girl, which is one of my all time favorite songs. Um, and there's a great documentary that I think it's I think it's on Netflix. It was a Netflix documentary that they did on Kathleen Hanna. Um, anyway, so she's super feminist. She start she married Adam Horowitz. And I'm kind of wondering, like, you know, what what is influencing all this for this band? And I think, you know, maybe she had a pretty big influence as well in, in that. Well, yeah. 
Well, and I think, well, the other, I mean, another element of this too is Rick Rubin's a Buddhist. And um, I don't know if he was a Buddhist when he first signed them. Um, I'd have to look that information up. But I, I think that the Beastie Boys were, as a group, a little more, I mean, considering they were hanging around the, you know, this, this, this punk scene that gave birth to like the Riot Girl movement and all of that. I mean, I think that they already had, I think they already had some of that in them. The problem is that, to begin with, they saw their rap, the, the rap thing as a joke. You know, they were punks first and rap artists second. And I think that, um, and I think that License to Ill is largely, it's again, I think as they've said, it's a joke that a lot of people didn't get. They didn't, I mean, the fact that they were going, you know, they weren't going by their real names, they were going by these rap artist names. I think they saw it as personas, right? It's kind of like, I mean, it's kind of like Slim Shady versus Marshall Mathers, or, you know, um, you know, Eminem, um, is a, is a white rap artist has, you know, multiple personas, you know, his real name is Marshall Mathers. Um, um, Eminem is his stage name, but he also has the character Slim Shady, who is, um, who is a very disturbing individual and is not to be, you know, is, but is not to be taken seriously. Like that's not like, that's a, it's Eminem's a complicated character, um, yeah. a complicated musical figure. But, um, but again, I think that, you know that there is an element in that what's that's in a lot of hip hop, and I, and I again I think that that it was a joke that they were they were aware that it was a joke when they made it. They realized after the fact that no one else got the joke, hmm. and that it gave birth to a very problematic. I mean, like you know, people who were who were listening to Jock Rock like Winger were listening to were listening to License to Ill, yeah, and like embracing it and not realizing that they're actually making fun of them the whole time. Right. And, and it was pretty, when, when Kathleen Dan, Hannah started dating uh, Ad-Rock, uh, it was pretty controversial amongst her scene because they saw it as like selling out as like, you know, oh, you're dating this like misogynistic, right. like super problematic person. Like what, what's up? Um, but that wasn't really the case. You know, I think they, they, they were very progressive and very forward thinking. Yeah, um, I was, I'm looking up, sorry, I'm looking up, um, 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 the lyric, there's a lyric to, in the, um, in the a song Alive by the Beastie Boys, which again is, you know, up there is my favorite songs of theirs. And they, this is where one of the, they do a lot to call out their own history. Um, and it says, um, cause I know there's this one line that it, cause, and it, it let me just say that they, they really, Alive in particular, I think, is what changed a lot for me spiritually and politically. Mm -hmm. um, so here's here we go. We got um, um, where is it? Um, so um, I'm taking um, um, I'm taking I'm taking duty rhymes to a brand new height, which is funny because there's a joke <laughs> about there. Um, I shot on the mic like ultra bright, created a monster with these rhymes I write. Goatee metal rap, please say good night. Wow. So that, that 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 that's the acknowledgement of the fact that like they created a monster with that's their acknowledgement of um I mean when I heard this, I was like, I was like, oh, they're talking about license to ill. Um and then um it goes on, he says, um, now who in the world do you want to fight? It's against a system we should unite. Homophobics ain't all right. If you if you learn to love, then you might love life. Yeah. And then um, and then it goes on to say, um, um, here we go. This is a long line that I just, but I love it. Um, 
Now you can shuffle, you can shuffle numbers, but facts is facts. So many billionaires while so many lacks. So before the poor decide to react, well, come to part, come on party people, share, um, share up your stacks. Now I'm now, now I'm gonna break it down to the brass tacks. Do the Bismarck dance in the cabbage patch. You tried to turn the key, but then you broke the latch, sneaking through my files for some rhymes to snatch. Okay, that line is a different thing. But it says, I'd like to have a say on the income tax. This I think about this line probably like once or twice a week, by the way. I'd love to say I have a say on the income tax. Don't want to help build bombs, and that's the facts. No money for health care, so what's the catch? The man got you locked with no keys to the latch. Damn. Yeah. So, so... This is the same group that again wrote. Um, I did it like this. I did it like that. I did it with a wiffle ball bat. Um, yeah, you know, the far cry. And you know, and 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 you're starting to see the beginnings of that kind of consciousness. You know, throughout the records, but really, like you know, Hello Nasty has again, like you're pointing out with um, with um, 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 is a song for the man. Uh, um, no, it was um. Um, putting shame in your game. Sorry, putting shame in your game, right? So that's that's you know that they're starting to acknowledge some of their legacy around around that. Um, Which is kind of funny. And, now that I think about that, like the title of putting shame in your game, it kind of when I when I first heard it, it kind of sounds like a diss. Like I'm going to put shame in your game, but it's like no, like maybe you should be more aware. Like you need right. to have more shame, I guess. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you know, tempering your game, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly what they're what they're what they're referencing in that, and um, uh, and then the follow the song right after that is um, um, oh, let me pull up the track list real quick. I think that it was the one that you was it song for Junior. No, 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 no. It's Flow and Prose. Flow oh, and Prose. Right. Flow and Prose is one that ends with the whole like line about like Marcus Garvey and His Holiness the Dalai Lama and Gandhi yeah. and all this stuff, right? I mean, and that's the. Um, wait, is uh, by the way, is is Intergalact the one that says going Om like Gandhi? Umbaye, or is that alive? Anyway, um, um, but it, yeah, so like that, you know, so like here, I mean, and I just put this person because you brought this, you, you, you're bringing this topic up. Yeah. I mean, you know, being this, you know, being this, um, I was 16, a 16 year old Baptist kid, um, fascinated with Asian culture and Asian philosophy, um, feeling, starting to beginning to feel really dissatisfied with my church. I'm having to rebel against this um this in this 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 system that you know my mom was my mom has felt pressure to enforce it um um she was a little more lax on things than than like some of the pastors in my church were but you know they're forcing me saying you know you shouldn't listen to non-christian music you need to only do that you know you basically keep yourself entrenched in this christian ghetto and i'm feeling i'm starting to begin to kick against it i've been attracted to punk rock and skateboarding so it's already given me a sort of oppositional you know defiance issue i fight with authority on a daily basis at my school and I'm listening to this. So I'm driving around Orlando, listening to these lyrics, listening to this group talk about this stuff, and they're introducing thoughts and ideas. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm. You know, I'd like to think that I'm a pacifist, um, and I, and I think that my pacifism first began from listening to the Beastie Boys, <laughs> as weird as it is, yeah. um, because one, to be able to criticize your roots and to reevaluate what you've done and to sort of say, Hey, you know, what I did as a kid might not have been great. That's something I've always kind of respected when you're willing to kind of call out your own, your own legacy and admit when you've, when you've been wrong. And you know, that's repentance. I mean, it's a Christian act of repentance. Especially if it's a joke. Cause they could just be like, Oh, it's a joke. Stop taking it so seriously. Right. But they're like, but, no, we probably shouldn't tell it, told the joke. <laughs> right. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, it's like any toxic person who's just like, I'm just joking. Why be so serious about it? You know, like you realize, well, sometimes the joke is not a joke. Um, um, and so 
I, and so I wonder how many other people have had this kind of impact, have been impacted this way by, by a group like the BC Boys, you know, and, you know, because again, like they're, they're incorporating this stuff, but they're not like, it's only George Harrison, right? Like George Harrison, you know, made his music about his Buddhism or his Hinduism and about his beliefs in, in karma, or sorry, it wasn't Hinduism, Hare Krishnaism. Um, he made his music about that. And so like it was front, like, you know, in the forefront. And that was like, he was, you know, telegraphing in everything that he did, right? You have, you know, so he was basically like, like a Christian artist, you know, his, his wearing his religion on his sleeve and it became a defining marker, right? We both grew up with Christian acts that did the, all of that. Um, what, one of the things we haven't acknowledged, by the way, is that DC Talk began the band DC Talk began as a Christian spin on the Beastie Boys. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, um, <laughs> Christian alternative. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. and um, um, you know, but here's a group where their spirituality, their religious beliefs, their convictions, all of it are just so ingrained that it just comes out of them, and they're not trying to like they're not putting it front and center because they don't need to put it front and center. This is what you get now, and that influence and how that and how that for me got me to start you know challenging and thinking about stuff um i know was was really important so i wonder you know i mean i don't know if you had any kind of no i mean not not really <laughs> i mean it's 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 interesting and illuminating to see and it's it's i i i love a, a story about people kind of recognizing who they were and distancing distancing themselves from that because it, it probably was problematic in their lives um you know I just I just think it's personally kind of fascinating and and I and I find it to be really kind of inspiring. Um, does it sort of kind of inspire my own spiritual beliefs? I don't I don't really know. I didn't really look that deep into what they're saying, you know. But it's um, I think it's fascinating, and I think and I think and I think it is sort of a kind of a telling sign of the time in which it came out because you know I mentioned earlier about sort of Madonna going through sort of the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, I remember that happening. Is uh, I think probably the exact. The, I think this didn't this album drop the exact same year as, as Ray of Light, or did Ray of Light come out like a year earlier? I don't know because this came out in '98. So I think I think Ray of Light was was like a year earlier. Was it? Um, I feel like it was later. No, I remember being in in like in middle school, like when Ray of, really like because I feel like Ray of Light because um, that's the same album with like Frozen, right? Yeah, that's what um, that was for me. Like Rebirth. That song, which is right. a great video, by the way. I love that video. <laughs> it came February 22nd, 1998. It was recorded in 1997. Okay. So, yeah, same here. Um, and and it's, it's just kind of interesting, the parallel. Like, Madonna and, and BC Boys don't really have much to do with each other. But these two albums, that, that's something I noticed about that album, was that she went through, like, sort of a rebirth in her style of music. She used a lot of electronica, a lot of techno. Um, at least that's well, what they called it back then. Yeah. <laughs> interestingly, sorry, interestingly, I mean, the Beastie Boys were recording this, um, the Beastie Boys were recording this around the same time she was recording her stuff. Um, but they, this album came out in July. She came out in February. But yeah, either way, like it's clearly a zeitgeist is being, there's some kind of a zeitgeist being tapped into. Yeah, um, because that's when she was starting to get into Kabbalah, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's right. Good point. Yeah, and I think you know it, this is that's that's just an interesting thing, and it's the tail end of the '90s, yeah. um, and you know we had gone through a period of well, the, you know, beginning the beginning of the '90s, of course, very dark, mm -hmm. 
you know, I mean, grunge comes out in the nineties and it's not, you know, it's not a, it's not a positive time. Right. Um, you know, I mean, there's some degree of, I guess, affluence, but like, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's a kind of a negative time, you know, the excesses of the eighties gives way to grunge, but then, you know, pop music and things toward the end of the decade start to really, you know, things kind of get a more positive, you know, people start getting a little more positive, but then there's, you get, you get, you, you get a lot of excess in pop music and in particularly hip hop. And so to have a pop star like Madonna and, you know, who start, you know, whose career started in the eighties, just like the BC boys started in the eighties. You mentioned the fact that they toured together, um, that they, that they come out at the end of the decade with this very conscious, spiritual thing and it's not just a belief but it's 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 reflected in in the, the actual style of the music like, you know, right right goes and, from and, moby, a, and moby is active at this time too yeah. starting to, his career is starting to take off at this time and he's doing a lot of the same a lot of similar things of course he's you know on a different level you know he's not nearly as popular as they are but yeah i think i think a thesis i think a thesis could be written on these two albums that <laughs> are ray of light and, and and hello nasty and then maybe i should have yeah. chosen ray of light for my for my album <laughs> <laughs> Next I don't year. know. Next I, year. I, I, I will say I have a really hard time with Madonna as an artist because yeah. so much has been so much has been out there about how much she steals from people. Oh, really? I didn't know. That. Oh, yeah. Oh, you didn't know that? Oh, she's yeah. Uh, uh, so Chuck, use this album in a sermon. Let me, let me hear it. <laughs> use this album in a sermon yeah. for for, um, for youth kids back in the nineties. You know, uh, uh, God's love is truly intergalactic. <laughs> And it is, it is planetary because it's for the entire, it is for the entire world. And he comes out of another dimension in order to touch you with his intergalactic love. <laughs> That's good. And you know, when, when Jesus was resurrected in the tomb, it got his body moving. Well, <laughs> let, well let me say, let me just say, you know, I feel that as a pastor, my job is to, is to, you know, take, to basically sample things from pop culture and scripture and put it together. And in some ways I'm in and put a mix on it. So I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like a DJ, right? <laughs> I'm a DJ, but you know what? The father, son, the Holy spirit, those are the three MCs. <laughs> and they're the ones who really give me the words that I just have to I, put up. I don't know why, but like, I was just thinking of like <laughs> the, the transfiguration and then like, it just turns into a sick beat. Like, <laughs> <laughs> two two prophets and one one savior like <laughs> oh that's funny that's funny but no, i, I you know, okay. okay well cool well you know uh, chuck thank you for choosing this album uh, i had i had a blast listening to it it was fun it was fun it's always fun revisiting you know those 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 three hits and especially the music videos but it was it was a it was a very interesting experience really diving deep yeah man into what this album is and this and like i said i didn't mention this in the i mentioned this before the podcast started this is actually the first time i've listened to an entire bc boys album yeah as much as i love them and i do love them it's not because i didn't like them it just i it just, it just i just never did like i said I'm, I'm musically like i'm not you know well and it's it's also one of those things where you know you you know there are there are a few there are a few acts out there that you know you know them mostly i mean like i i like lady gaga i've never listened to an entire lady gaga album you know she's right. I, I i listen to a lot of her singles and i like a lot of her singles and I think this is one of those kinds of groups you like, you know, and that's, that's totally normal and understandable. And I don't, I'm not going to give any judgment. I, I'm over that kind of that, like, what you never, <laughs> what kind of fan are you? Like, okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, which so I credit yeah. you, I credit you with, by the way, you've helped me stop being that kind of oh, well, TV jerk type. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I could uh, inspire that. 
that's that's cool. Even though even though I I, I judge people all the time internally, but well, well, right. We, we all do that, right? We all do that. Um, nice. But you know, maybe maybe we can listen. We can learn something from MCA and in his spirituality, and it will make us better people. Absolutely, and pour one out for MCA. Yeah, dude. Yeah, uh, dude. And I I just as an addendum to this. Um, Listen to the single "Alive" because it it should have been on this album. And if it had been on this album, I think it would have been a bigger and a bigger track. Um, it's it it, it it may be their best song. Um, I have a twelve-inch vinyl single of it that I've had for years that I only right. recently got to listen to because I finally own a record player that I could listen to it on. Um, and um, "Alive" is great. Um, and it's and it's sort of a it's it, it, it's it's of a piece with the themes of this album. And the video is also really good. Um, I also want to say, I finally give out another little secret of, okay. I had, I had, I had a strategy this year. Yeah. So the first album that we did, that we've done that I picked for, um, music mayhem was Paul Simon's Graceland, which came out in the eighties. We follow that up the next year with, uh, rumors by Fleetwood Mac, which came out in the seventies. So now I picked an album from the nineties. It's it's at a bit of a Tarantino-esque uh, timeline, but yeah, yeah. So so <laughs> you've hit I'm the at, three decades, yeah. So next year, next year will uh, it will probably be the seventies. I mean, probably, sorry, probably from the two thousands. I'm surprised you're not going to the sixties. Like that's uh, that would that would really mix it up, right? I guess I can I can I can I confess something that's probably going to be surprising to you. Uh, okay, I'm so over the sixties. <laughs> I think most people are. Right, because we're, so we're, 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 we're for, our our generation is forward thinking. Like we want to go, we want to go no, further. We're, no, we're not. Come on, nostalgia. Well, I mean, that's. I think politically. Okay, more. okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I think politically, um, like I think that's why we're, we're not as impressed by the sixties, especially as we grew up with the generation that defined the sixties. We've they've disappointed us so much. Well, and I think I think the reason why there's so much obsession with the '70s is because they crammed it down our throats. <laughs> That's that, that too, yeah. <laughs> you know, basically, I mean, what I, I think I mentioned on the show before, but the thing that really got me over the '60s is um, is uh, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Yeah, there's a moment where it's the 1960s and everybody's doing drugs and like all these, you know, Dewey Cox is walking around in his mansion and he is like name dropping like every like popular musician of the 1960s. So they're at his house and he's like, hey, hey, hey. and um, and it's this very self-aware knowing moment where um, his wife and him are both like, it's the 1960s. This is the most important decade that we will ever live in. And there's just this whole like mocking tone. It was like, oh yeah, that's really kind of how it's been, isn't it? That yeah. like, everyone treats the sixties as though it was the most important time ever. And it was just another decade. Right. So I'm over the sixties and I will probably not pick anything from the sixties. Well, there you go. There you have unless it. It's, unless it's like, I don't know, like some random like Motown doo-wop thing. Yeah. That'd be cool. I thought about that last year. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, well, Chuck, thank you so much. Um, Matt could not join us, unfortunately, uh, but uh, stick around uh, because Matt does have to announce uh, the next album because he, he is up next. So I say to Father Chuck, thank you so much for, for this album. Thank you so much for your insight. It was a, a, another successful Music Mayhem for, for you. Yes. I think. And uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Join us again next week and good journey. Good journey many many minutes later matt what do you think about the album about about about, about beastie boys yeah what do you think about just give us your headache. quick thoughts 
the headache the, the headache it gave me uh, <laughs> i i'm sure you guys had this really deep conversation about it and chuck got all into what it meant and how it changed things and i'm so upset that i missed it not because i give a crap what he said but because i listened to this for nothing yeah um because it, it's not my thing i find <laughs> I, I found i found i found it unlistenable um wow it, it's like panic attack inducing noise i felt like an old person <laughs> that's an interesting thing to to kind to, to to touch on after the conversation we just had about it <laughs> yeah i felt like i felt like an old person um they're the they're the you know they're the the music that made your parents mad and now i know why it's not <laughs> It's not because your parents had any idea what they were talking about or doing. It's because the noise literally made your parents mad because the noise makes me angry. But you still like Intergalactic, right? That's a cool, still a cool song to you, right? Sure. I love hearing the word intergalactic said weirdly 99 million times in a row. Wow. Oh, wow. You see, it's, this would have been a fun episode, just to, you and Chuck just going at it over this <sighs> album. <laughs> It would have been very reminiscent of Avatar <laughs> in music <laughs> form um, because I've had just about as exciting feelings toward this song as I did for towards this music as I did for the, the movie Avatar. Oh, well, that's 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 funny. I, I'm sorry you didn't enjoy it and that you didn't even get to talk about it. <laughs> so you just listened to this album. I listened to it for nothing. <laughs> um. I can I can appreciate what they were doing. Mm -hmm. I can appreciate that some people like it. It just was definitely it's definitely not my thing. Not for so you. On a yeah. So on a serious note, I'm not like this is the worst thing I've ever. It's just to me, it's just noise. It was never my thing, and now it's even less so because now I'm older and I listen to this and I'm like, no, <laughs> no. All it's right. Lots of noise. Okay, well then, well that's that's that's. But I, yes, yes, but I'm here for something more important. Yeah, and that is for sweet, sweet revenge. Okay, that's what I'm here for because, unfortunately, Father Chuck, you aren't here for me to watch you have to receive this information oh, no. live and face to face in person. Well, no, hold on a second. But, don't, don't just don't just choose an album out of spite. You can That's not that's, but, oh, that's no, not music. It is not, it is not out of spite, and you know it. Um, but because this oh, I think I see what's me, coming. I think I see what's coming. Because what you what this was done to me, it is finally time for me to put aside my thoughts of caring about other people's feelings and to do the album I've wanted to do, but have not done it for sake of our fellow co-host. Say it, Matt. Um, Say so it. We are finally, we are finally going to be doing in syncs, no strings attached. Oh. So. Uh huh. So, and I wish more than anything we could reunite the people from high school and just redo the dance. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, um, so yeah, Father Chuck, when you hear this, I know you will be filled with joy and excitement and i'm sure there will be no mean comments to follow on our own facebook page because why would you attack us we are your podcaster <laughs> um but yes we will be doing the wonderful 2000 album the second one by nsync 
the album that I would argue Beastie Boys have impacted music, but they're gone. NSYNC has impacted music and they are gone, but they changed the tide of music entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, as much as I love them, would blame them partially for the death of rock and roll. Probably, yeah. Um, and the birth of what we now have as pop music. And I would especially say that with their... Uh, their celebrity album that followed but this is their biggest so this is the one we are going with Mm -hmm. so we will have plenty to talk about that i look forward to it Uh, and you know what and you know what i look forward to listening to this one (laughs) i do um this one will not be a headache this will be me singing very loudly in my house by myself to the music i'm excited too i can't wait i I love this album i do i I will be folding laundry and doing dishes for the next week listening to this and i will love every second of it <laughs> i can't i can't wait to hear what chuck says about it <laughs> oh it's gonna be good it's gonna be really good all right so you you got it folks uh go out and listen to no strings attached by nsync uh and join us again next week as we will go into into painstaking detail about one of the best in seek one of the best one of the best albums of of that decade probably i would say this is my forever <laughs> just the video alone we'll be talking about that too my friend in the dance that changed everything <laughs> great all right well so you heard it go go out listen to uh no strings attached by NSYNC and uh, come back next week and we'll talk about it. Matt, thank you so much uh, for your, your brief insight into, into uh, Hello Nasty and also recommend, for recommending next week's album. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. Uh, join us again next week. Good journey. Good journey.